0: Or listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is the Dustin Gold Standard. And you are listening to TV slash gold. Join us over there, folks. Do it. Sign up for a membership and help put food on the table. Keeps the lights on here at the studio. For just a few dollars a month, folks, I think it's $8 and change, you get access to the ad-free video version of this podcast as well as the Thomas Paine podcast, the mothership of this operation, folks. All right, let's continue here. It says eugenics became an academic discipline at many colleges and universities and received funding from many sources, including the government, by the way. The state is always behind all this fun stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Fun stuff, as Dr. Charles Morgan III told the West Point Cadets back in 2018 when he was bragging about all this Frankenstein technology. He said, isn't this fun stuff? All right, it goes on to say organizations were formed to win public support and sway opinion towards responsible eugenic values in parenthood, including the British Eugenics Education Society of 1907 and the American Eugenics Society of 1921. Both sought support from leading clergymen and modified their message to meet religious ideals. In 1909, the Anglican clergymen William Inge and James... Pelly both wrote for the Eugenics Education Society. Inge was an invited speaker at the 1921 International Eugenics Conference, which was also endorsed by Roman Catholic Archbishop of New York, Patrick Joseph Hayes. They got everyone in on this, folks, even the, the Christians, the Catholics, they're all on board. goes on to say, the book... The Passing of the Great Race or the Racial biases of European History by American eugenicist lawyer and amateur anthropologist Madison Grant was published in 1916. Although influential, the book was largely ignored when it first appeared and went through several revisions and editions. Nevertheless, the book was used by people who advocated restricted immigration as justification for what became known as scientific racism. And we're going to get into that as well. And I'm not saying all of these things are necessarily wrong. All right. I'm obviously against grabbing 20 little boys and 20 little girls and forcing them to have sex so that you can breed uh, your supreme race or whatever it is. We'll get into it as we go through that term paper that research paper we're then going to start to talk a little bit about the immigration policies that were put into place because just because you're against one part of something doesn't mean you have to be against all of it so we're going to really break it down it goes on to say three international eugenics conferences presented a global venue for eugenicists with meetings in 1912 in london and in 1921 and 1932 in New York City. Eugenic policies in the United States were first implemented in the early 1900s. It also took root in France, Germany, and Great Britain. Later, in the 1920s and 1930s, the eugenic policy of sterilizing certain mental patients was implemented in other countries, including Belgium, Brazil, Canada, Japan, and Sweden. Uh, Frederick Osborne's 1937 journal article, Development of a Eugenic Philosophy, framed it as a social philosophy, a philosophy with implications for social order social order, very similar to the science of social engineering, this system of total control called technocracy. All right, so you have to say, wow, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, going through the 1920s and 30s, eugenics was spreading all across the world, similar to how today, covid land the high school theater production the vaccine all that stuff it spread so quickly so these crazy what seemed to be crazy anti-human ideas spread so rapidly even back then it just seems to magically appear i don't know maybe there was a world government back then as well folks it goes on to say that definition is not universally accepted osborne advocated for higher rates of sexual reproduction among people with desired traits they call that positive you eugenics or reduce rates of sexual reproduction or sterilization of people with less desired or under desired traits them to be negative eugenics and sterilization you know what that is folks they make sure you can't have kids Goes on to say, in addition to being practiced in a number of countries, eugenics was internationally organized through the International Federation of Eugenics Organizations, and we'll eventually be looking into that, folks. Goes on to say, its scientific aspects were carried on through research bodies such as the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute of Anthropology, Human Heredity, and Eugenics, the Cold Spring Harbor Carnegie Institution for experimental Environmental evolution and the eugenics record office. You see, this was big. This was not fringe. This whole Wikipedia thing starts out. It was a fringe movement. What? Everyone in the high levels of society were involved with this thing. Are you kidding me? It goes on politically. The movement advocated measures such as sterilization laws. In its moral dimension, eugenics rejected the doctrine that all human beings are born equal and redefine moral worth purely in terms of genetic fitness. Its racist elements included pursuit of a pure Nordic race or Aryan genetic pool and the eventual elimination of unfit races. Many leading British politicians subscribe to the theories of eugenics, Winston Churchill supported the British Eugenics Society and was an honorary vice president for the organization. Churchill believed that eugenics could solve race deterioration and reduce crime and poverty. Well, First off, folks, if they wanted to do this in places uh, like England and such, they could just shut the borders down and only have British people there. United States, a little more difficult to do because we had opened our borders from the very beginning to increase our numbers and grow our population here. You know, in the beginning of this country, it was generally various uh, groups of Europeans that were fighting with each other. But eventually now we have Hispanic, we have asian we have indian we have all these different races here but as you can see these guys were very powerful you had someone like winston churchill involved so was winston churchill part of a fringe group it wasn't fringe if people like winston churchill were part of it Early critics of philosophy of eugenics included the American sociologist Lester Frank Ward, the English writer J.K. Chesterton, the German-American anthropologist Franz Boas, who argued that advocates of eugenics greatly overestimate the influence of biology, and Scottish tuberculosis pioneer and author Halliday Sutherland. Ward's 1913 article Eugenics, Euthenics, and Eudemics." Chesterson's uh, 1917 book Eugenics and Other evils, and Boas' 1916 article Eugenics published in the Scientific Monthly were all harshly critical of the rapidly growing movement. Sutherland identified eugenesis as major obstacle to the eradication and cure of tuberculosis in his 1917 address Consumption, Its Cause and Cure. And criticism of eugenesis and Neo-Malthusians in his 1921 Birth Control led to a writ for libel from the eugenicist Mary stopes several biologists were also antagonistic to the eugenics movement including lancelot Hogben. other biologists such as jbs haldane and r a fisher expressed skepticism in the belief that sterilization of defectives would lead to the disappearance of undesirable genetic traits okay so at least there were some people speaking out against this folks It goes on to say, among institutions, the Catholic Church was an opponent of state enforced sterilizations, but accepted isolating people with hereditary diseases so as not to let them reproduce. All right. So they didn't necessarily want to force these sterilizations, but they were totally fine with isolating people so that they could not reproduce. goes on to say attempts by the eugenics education society to persuade the british government to legalize voluntary sterilization were opposed by catholics and by the labor party the american eugenics society initially gained some catholic supporters but catholic support declined following the 1930 papal and cyclical caste canubi in this pope Puus The 11th explicitly condemns sterilization laws. Public magistrates have no direct power over the bodies of their subjects. Therefore, where no crime has taken place and there is no cause present for grave punishment, they can never directly harm or tamper with the integrity of the body, either for the reasons of eugenics or for any other reason. Well, that's good. The Catholic Church spoke out on that, folks. So that would be a good thing. We'd give the Catholic Church a round of applause on that one. It goes on to say, as a social movement, Movement, eugenics reached its greatest popularity in the early decades of the 20th century when it was practiced around the world and promoted by governments, institutions, and influential individuals, such as the playwright G.B. Shaw. Many countries enacted various eugenic policies, including genetic screenings, birth control, promoting differential birth rates, marriage restrictions, segregation, both racial segregation and sequestering the mentally ill compulsory sterilization forced abortions or forced pregnancies ultimately culminating in genocide by 2014 gene selection rather than people selection was made possible through advances in genome editing leading to what is sometimes called new eugenics also known as neo-eugenics, consumer eugenics or liberal eugenics which focuses on individual freedom and allegedly pull away from racism, sexism, uh, heterosexism, or a focus On intelligence so you see what they did folks is they eventually just rebranded eugenics and now they have these idiots lining up to get designer babies from companies like orchid biosciences uh, with peter theo money behind it with 23andme money behind it the wife of sergey brin the head of google and so now they have people literally doing this to themselves it's like going on twitter and you don't write what you really feel because you know you'll be censored and lose your account so now you say Self-censor. So now they've literally socially engineered people into self-censoring their own horrible traits. And so they're literally saying, well, I have a big nose. I don't want my kid to have a big nose. Let's carve that out in the DNA profile. So you literally have people going into the mad scientists, the Frankenstein doctors, as they turn this thing into a fad, right? This is the social engineering of society. So social engineering works to bring in technocracy, complete and total control by the scientists and engineers it also brings in this idea of eugenics or as they brand it now transhumanism right because they're going to make you perfect when they merge you with machine and you know where this ends up folks it's a running theme here at the dust and gold standard this ends with the genocide of humanity but it won't be genocide folks it'll be the engineering of humanity out of existence because none of us are perfect to them no matter your race no matter your color no matter your creed your religion, your sexual orientation, your gender, it doesn't matter. Humans were deemed imperfect back in 1933 by Technocracy Incorporated. We did not put enough work back into the system for the amount of energy that we were taking out of it in the form of food and oxygen. So, we were marked the enemy almost a hundred years ago, and the eugenicists were hard at work, already trying to breed us out of existence. Now we've just advanced that with the technology like CRISPR, gene editing dna splicing and this transhumanism push ladies and gentlemen absorb that while i go to a short break my name is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard and this is Payne.tv slash gold. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into this paper here. Remember, and now that you have Just a layman's understanding of the history of eugenics. Nothing new. Been around for quite a long time. Many powerful folks involved with it. It was spread far and wide, really started to grow in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And so we got to go back now to Rexford Tugwell, the gentleman who was very instrumental and powerful on FDR's brain trust, who helped bring the New Deal into practice. The New Deal, I believe, was to begin ushering in elements of technocracy, beginning to socially engineer people into the idea of technocratic control, right? The New Deal brings in the Social Security number. Social Security number idea comes from the Technocracy Incorporated documents where they had to assign a number to every man, woman, and child for the purpose of them receiving their energy credit allotment, right? And then you have also in the New Deal just Social Security in general. That's the idea of the government taking your money, investing it for you to create a retirement fund for you. All right, that's the beginning of turning over the control of your Money that you produce with your labor or the goods or services that you sell. All right. These are elements of technocracy. So they started to slide in with the new deal so as we're looking at Rexford uh, Rexford Tugwell inspired by Thorstein Veblen who inspired Howard Scott we see that he was also inspired by up on the screen here I have that ageofutopia.info article Scott Nearing and Simon Patton so I went and did a bunch of research on this eventually I'll work it in the show it's not super important right now but yes Tugwell was inspired by Nearing and Simon Patton Scott Nearing and Simon Patton and so what we're going to do is we're going to Look at this paper that I found here from 2005, Retrospectives, Eugenics and Economics in the Progressive Era by Thomas C. Leonard. And I'm going to go through most of this over the next couple of episodes because it's frankly very, very important. It starts off saying this feature addresses the historic, I'm sorry, the history of economic terms and ideas. The hope is to deepen the workaday dialogue of economists while perhaps also casting new light on ongoing questions. And then if you have suggestions on this, you can contact blah, 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 blah at the Journal of Economic Perspectives. But this is very detailed. I read the whole thing about two weeks ago and I said, all right, let me cover this. because this is really going to give you a solid understanding of what was going on uh, back in this time. Introduction. American economics transformed itself during the progressive era. In the three to four decades after 1890, American economics became an expert policy, science, and academic economists played a leading role in bringing about a vastly more expansive state role in the American economy. All right? So right there, talking about... um, in the three to four decades after 1890 all right so you'll take 1890 bring that up to say 1930 american economics became an expert policy science and academic economists played a leading role in bringing about a vastly more expansive state role in the american economy and i argue that is when they started to bring the elements of technocracy into play a lot of this stuff being cooked up in columbia university and we're going to eventually get deeper into that but you had ibm uh working out of there you had the technocratic movement working out of there you had fdr's brain trust working out of there so a lot of stuff going on in and around columbia university goes on to say by world war one the united states government amended the constitution to institute a personal income tax created the federal reserve we went over that folks um I think in the episode where I talk to you about how this is not the constitutional republic you think you're living in. It is not the same system. So it says here, by World War I, U.S. government amended the Constitution to institute a personal income tax, created the Federal Reserve, applied antitrust laws, restricted immigration, and began regulation of food and drug safety. State governments, where the reform impulse was stronger still, regulated working conditions, banned child labor instituted mother's pensions, capped working hours, and set minimum wages. Now, I'm just going to point this out. We can sit here and debate and argue back and forth on every one of these issues. I'm not necessarily taking a stance on any of these. I'm just trying to make you aware of these things. But let's just add that to the list of stuff we covered in that past episode of this isn't the country that you're living in anymore. So when people are fighting for the United States or restoring America, restoring the republic, I just don't know. I don't understand what you're restoring if you don't even understand the history. History of our country. We've changed so many things from what was the founding that we aren't actually in the same system any longer and that just adds to it folks so you could be for minimum wage laws or you could be for mother's pensions it doesn't matter i'm just saying that stuff didn't exist in the founding of the country so if you want to restore the republic are we restoring it back to 1776 1780 1801 uh, january of 1811 i don't know I don't know, so you have to stop talking like that because it doesn't actually make any sense. So if you're going to make an argument to restore the republic, we have to know exactly what it is you're talking about. It goes on to say, less well known is that a crude eugenic sorting of groups into deserving and undeserving classes crucially informed the labor and immigration reform that is the hallmark of the progressive era. Reform-minded economists of the progressive era defended exclusionary labor and immigration legislation on grounds that the labor force should be rid of unfit workers whom they labeled parasites, the unemployable, low-wage races, and the industrial residue removing the unfit went the argument would uplift superior deserving workers okay so removing the unfit went the argument would uplift superior deserving workers so this eugenics policy growing out of the progressive era was about creating a what a more efficient worker well does that not tie right into The ideas of technocracy that were bubbling at the same time. And as you see, many of these economists and authors and writers and philosophers and scientists and engineers that are for eugenics also were the same people for technocracy. This is why I call it technocratic transhumanism because it goes hand in hand. It is technocracy and eugenics one is re-engineering society as a whole the social engineering of society the total control system uh, that engineers the means of production and the distribution of goods and gives these elitists these overlords total control of that system as well as then engineering humanity itself see it's pretty clear when you go back into history and you start to dissect this stuff it makes total sense you actually see where this grew out of that these people were looking to engineer a better slave class that's what they're talking about here so technocracy deemed us unfit inefficient and so they started to say how can we breed better workers now part of what technocracy was promoting was the rise of the machine where the machine would replace some of the muscle heads they needed to run the machines so they were going to start to engineer the muscle heads out of existence and start to actually try to produce high iq people they thought people that would be the scientists and the engineers that could actually run this total control system see it's a sickness folks it's a sickness. These people are mentally ill. If they wanted to weed out the unfit, they would weed themselves out of existence. All right. It goes on to say, eugenics describes a movement to improve human heredity by the social control of human breeding based on the assumption that differences in human intelligence, character, and temperament are largely due to differences in heredity. Francis Galton, who we just discussed, statistical innovator and half-cousin of Charles Darwin, is regarded as the founder of modern eugenics. Eugenics' first object, said Galton, is to check the birth rate of the unfit instead of allowing them to come into being. The second object is the improvement of the race by furthering the productivity of the fit by early marriages and the healthful rearing of children all right see that one more time one more time folks this is from galton the half cousin of charles darwin eugenics quote first object end quote said galton quote is to check the birth rate of the unfit instead of allowing them to come into being All right. Stop them from breeding. The second object is the improvement of the race by furthering the productivity of the fit by early marriages and the healthful rearing of children, end quote. So see, again, these are men trying to play God here. It goes on, in the United States especially, progressive era eugenics tended to be racist, but, quote, race, end quote, had connotations in the progressive era different than those of today. And eugenicists of that time were both imprecise and inconsistent in their use of the term. Sometimes the term refers to all of humankind, the human race. Sometimes race was used in something like its modern sense. But more commonly, the Progressive Era usage of race meant ethnicity or nationality, especially when distinguishing among Europeans so that the English or those of Anglo-Saxon ethnicity were presumed to be a race distinct from, say, the Irish race or the Italian race The most influential racial taxonomy of the day, The Races of Europe, was written by William Z. Ripley in 1899, an economist trained at MIT and Columbia, who spent a long career at Harvard studying railroad economics and served in 1933 as president of the American Economic Association. So there's this guy, William Ripley, right? And so he writes The Races of Europe. It goes on to say, race did not exhaust the variants of human hierarchy embraced by American eugenicists, whose catalog of unfit persons often included women and the lower classes. Eugenicists were also gravely concerned with those they regarded as deficient in intellect, for example, epileptics, the mentally ill, and the feeble-minded, and those they regarded as deficient in character, quote, the criminals and the incorrigibly uh, uh, idle, the morally deficient and those incapable of producing their maintenance and any application whatsoever. End quote. All right. And so there's a lot of uh, references in this book, a lot of footnotes. I'm sorry, in this paper, a lot of footnotes. This is highly sourced. I actually started going through some of the source material. And this stuff is just mind blowing, folks. I mean, I knew about eugenics. I studied a little bit of it over the years. And when I started to get into this again, because it ties into technocracy and i was really looking for the history of transhumanism and i went all the way back into that history and then saw that it tied into eugenics i said we've really got to cover this because if you guys want to understand what this transhumanist push is all about where it came from it's Right out of all of this original stuff. It's like technocracy. We look at what the World Economic Forum, the UN, everybody's doing today. It comes right out of the original technocracy documents going back to 1919. So learn your history, and then you'll have a clear understanding of what the present looks like and why we're here. And then you'll be able to predict where we're going in the future and the future does not look so pretty ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold more listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold